anger, brawling, slander, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk. These are the things Paul says we just got to get rid of them. We cannot have even a hint of them in our lives. He said these things need to be done. They need to be gone. Just gone. And yet I talked about how often we struggle with these things, right? I was reading this list. I'm like, ooh, you know, I don't know. But I explained the difference between our old self and the new self. And how this card, it really represents which? Your old self. And that you once were a sinner. You once were a slave to sin. In fact, here, here's the deal. You once had sin as your master. But then Jesus came along. Oh, how I love Jesus. And he made us new. You became a new creation. You were born again. But even though sin no longer rules your life, it no longer defines who you are, it still is present. I talked about how many of us have this identity crisis where we do not understand who we are in Christ. And because of this lack of understanding, we try to raise up that old man, right? Dig him up out of the grave and live according to our old habits, our old patterns, what we were, who we were before Christ. But I gave each of us the opportunity to take this card and to lay it down at the foot of the cross. It was a symbolic reminder to us that this card, it does not define us. It is not who we are. Even if you still struggle in some of these areas, this list does not define us. We are defined by who we are in Christ. Amen? And who are we in Christ? The first three chapters of Ephesians, it it describes us again and again who we are in Christ. In fact, can we just have a couple different people shout out, who are we in Christ? Saved, forgiven, sanctified, loved, restored, righteous, conquerors. Amen. My favorite one is free. Free. Sin had a grip on my life, but now I'm free. I'm free. You know, it's pretty good. It's pretty cool to be reminded of those truths of what we have in Christ. But for many of us in this room... We still struggle with this identity crisis, don't we? Not understanding who we are. And and many of you, it's sad, but it's true. You will struggle with this for the rest of your life. But I don't believe it has to be that way. Last Sunday, my supervisor, Dave Veach, he was in the house, and he gave a wonderful sermon, a wonderful message. And afterwards, he he met with my leadership team and my council. And um, we had taken this church-wide survey, and he shared with us the results of that survey, and we're hitting the mark in some areas, and then there's other areas where we could really improve. And these are results that me and my leadership team are going to be looking at, analyzing, and discussing over the next several months. But, but, but toward the beginning of the meeting, this really meant a lot to me. He said, the thing I love most about Dan is that he is secure in who he is. And I took that as a huge compliment. I, I really did. See, Dave, I promise you will never have another interview like the one that he had with me. I came in, I, I was not trying to impress. When I interviewed for the position, I told him the truth about everything and anything. I talked about how the church actually shrunk when Chad brought me on. I talked about my failings and my weaknesses, talked about my strengths. That's a good thing to talk about as well, which are good. But, you know, I also really just shared my heart the areas where I needed help. In fact, the, listen to this the main two areas where the survey told us that as a church we could do a little bit better. These were the areas that in my interview, I told him were my greatest weaknesses. So before we ever even did the assessment, these were the areas that he and I already knew that I needed to work on because I had been honest with him. I had been honest with him. I didn't need to prove anything. I am secure in who I am in Christ, and I know that God 
is in control. It's a great way to live, by the way. There's such a freedom in living that way. You don't have to be afraid of being found out or have to cover up your weaknesses by smoke and mirrors or lies or being fake or phony. You can relax. You know, I was able to leave this job, whether I was to be hired or not, into God's hands. I didn't campaign. I didn't try to make my case. In fact, he told me he had a stack of 30 other candidates that would have loved to have my job. But I just expressed my heart and shared with him what God was speaking to me. See, once you understand who you are in Christ, that you are accepted and found in Christ, the rest of it doesn't matter so much. But I tell you, I've come a long ways. I really have. God has done such a beautiful work in me and in my heart. I wasn't always such a secure person. In fact, by nature, I'm a people pleaser. Any people pleasers in the house? You bet. In my early 20s, I was a people pleaser to the most dysfunctional level. If anyone was ever mad at me, it would just tear me up inside. It would keep me up at night. It would give me a stomach ache. It would make me anxious. Anyone ever feel that way? Absolutely, you bet. But you know, being in the pressure cooker of pastoring people for the past nine years, it gives you the opportunity to work on this dysfunction because you're either going to get healthy in how you deal with people or you're going to become so gun-shy and scared of people that you will hide from your congregation. You'll become an island unto yourself. It happens all the time. At at the age of 24, in 2005, I was leading worship in front of over 2,000 people at the Easter service. And and even... 1% 1% of those people complained. So let's say I had 90, let's do a success failure rate. I had a 99% success rate, which I hope we don't grade it that way anyways. But let's say 1% were, were mad at me. If 20, that would be 20 people complaining. Over 20 people. And hearing the complaints and negativity from over 20 people in one week, I can tell you it can take down even the most strong man, right? If, if, you, if you need the approval of others, that can destroy you. And many pastors fall into this trap. Many so-called Christians, they're, they're just inappropriate, they're rude, they're vile, even evil to their pastors. And so eventually these pastors decide enough is enough and they cut off having any sort of healthy, healthy relationships with anyone else in their church. He or she almost cuts off all contact with his or her flock. They become, in a way, untouchable. Have you seen this before? I have. You know, pastors, they can't even find someone to help them move because they have no close relationships because these pastors have been so wounded. One of the most gifted pastors I've ever met, he was my pastor in Wyoming. He was a Rocky Mountain Baptist Coalition Church that I attended in Wyoming. He had a nervous breakdown the year after I left. He became so afraid of people that he wouldn't go out in public. He wouldn't go for a walk. He wouldn't go to the local coffee shop. And he loved the local coffee shop. This is the same pastor that I've shared about, the one that mentored me for a year. Who, who, When I first met with him, I didn't believe that the Bible was true. After that year, I put my faith and my trust in the Bible as the Word of God. And we often met in this coffee shop, but he stopped going out. He was afraid that he might run into someone. Listen to this. He was afraid he might run into someone that he knew, somebody from church, one of his brothers or sisters in Christ. He was afraid of what they might say to him, what they might complain about or gripe about. It took him out of the pulpit. He's not a pastor anymore, and it almost killed him. And I've seen this in varying degrees throughout my life. Did you know so many pastors struggle with depression? A a recent personality survey of Foursquare senior pastors found out that the personality trait that received the lowest score amongst Foursquare pastors 
The lowest score is happiness. And, and this isn't a Christian test. But, but uh, scholars say that this, this category, the happiness category, is equivalent to the Christian's idea of the deep-rooted joy. That is shocking to me. It was actually the category I was rated highest on. And I'm not going to let anybody take that away from me. And so early on, I realized I needed to stop working for the approval of man, even my boss, and instead be satisfied in Christ, knowing that God loves me, that he is well pleased with me. Whether things are going well or bad, whether everybody hates me or everybody loves me, I need to be rooted in the fact that I've been hidden in Christ and that God loves me. Now, with all that being said, I'd, I'd rather have you be nice to me than be a jerk. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, some of the things that you say just aren't appropriate. Someone was shocked the other day to hear that people actually are mean or rude to me. And, and they were probably shocked because I don't gossip about the things that you tell me. I, I'm a man of integrity. But regardless of what you say, you're not taking me down. If you're a wolf here today in sheep's clothing, you're not taking me down. You do not define me. I am defined by who I am in Christ. And here's the deal. You are defined by who you are in Christ. That is a word that many of you need to hear today. You have allowed your work to define you, your social status to define you, your spouse or your lack of spouse, your children or the fact that you have no children, to define you. You've allowed how many friends you have on Facebook or followers on Twitter to define you. You've even allowed your skills and your abilities, what you do, to define you, to give you your self-worth. We all struggle with this at some level, don't we? But, you know, if you live that way, you're going to live a fear-filled and anxiety-filled life. If you live life being defined by other things and other people, you will never be satisfied. We must, church, we must find our identity in Christ. Not in the things or other people, but in Christ. I pray that we would come to a place where we would believe that in Christ we are holy, we are blameless, we are accepted, forgiven, and free. That righteousness, peace, and joy is inside of us because Christ, the hope of glory, resides within us. But many of you, you came in today not knowing who you are. And this identity crisis, it's, it's tossing it around as if you were a little dinghy, a little boat in the middle of a storm. But let the peace of God calm the raging waters. Let the peace of God come in. Stop playing the game. Oh, what a waste of your life when you're just playing the game. Stop trying to get everybody to like you or to love you. Stop pretending to be somebody you're not. So let it be settled today that as a believer in Christ, you are found in Christ and you are loved by God. Amen? Amen. So that's not my sermon. <laughs> it's just God's word, I believe, for several of you, and I wanted to be faithful to share it. Today I want to continue our walk through Ephesians. We're going to go verse by verse through this letter from the Apostle Paul. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I, I know I have. I'm excited to hear from the Lord again today. So at this time, go ahead and open your Bibles. Ephesians 5, it's God eats popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 5 before we read it. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, you've laid it out in your word. We don't have to wonder any longer who we are. You've told us who we are. But for some of us, we're just struggling to believe it. And God, help us believe. In my unbelief, 
Help me believe. For those of us that are just lacking trust in you, Jesus, we just, today we say we're going to trust you. Even though I don't have all the answers, even though I'm scared, even though I'm anxious and fearful and, and I'm really worried about what's going to happen next week, today I'm going to put my trust in you, Jesus. And even as the world tells us that we are a certain thing, even our bosses told us a certain thing or our workplace or, or our friends, even our, our closest lover, our, our spouse has said something so damaging and hurtful to us, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe who I am in Christ. And today, just let that be settled. In the wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask and invite Stacey Hoffman to come up. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Thank you, Stacy. Would you give it up for Stacy? Could you throw me that water? Now you've got to look at verse 8 in the context of everything we talked about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I passed out this card, right? See, you once were darkness. You were everything that this card describes. But now, did you see what the word says? It says you are light in the Lord. It says, verse 8, live as children of the light. For the, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So if this card is what comes natural to our old self, we got to spend some time, invest some time finding out about this new life, right? This new self. A life that pleases the Lord, like Paul is instructing us to do. We've got to do some praying. We've probably got to read some of our Bibles, read some scripture, some worship, some time alone with Jesus, so that we can find out what pleases Him. Now, this is a discovery process. It's a, it's a learning process. For many of you who are new to this faith, this whole Christian thing it can just feel a little overwhelming. Have you ever just felt overwhelmed by it? I know I did early on. It's like, what do I believe? What am I not supposed to believe? What, what can I do? What can't I do? Especially when I'm 18, it's like, you know, you're pushing the limits. Like, so is this okay? And I, especially with girls. Like, so if I kiss her, is that okay? If I, well, anyways, I won't go down that process. It gets inappropriate really quick. But, but if you, um, here's the thing. Have you ever wondered to know what it really means to be a Christian? For a, for a long time, I, I, I called myself a Christian, but I didn't know what it meant. I just didn't. Well, guess what? We have a class for that. And uh, it's called our LifeSpring 201 class. We're actually having it again today. If you missed it last Sunday, there's still room for you to do it today. We want you to be there right after church. Just come. You're invited. But see, we often wonder, what does it really mean to be a Christian? But by the Holy Spirit within us, 
and by the word of God, we grow in our faith and we grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Paul gives us a glimpse of what it means to be a Christian in verse 8. He said, hey, Christian, you were darkness. You were surrounded by darkness. You were darkness. You were darkness itself. Your name tag. Hello, my name is darkness. Did you know that? It sounds so mean, but... It's the truth. Darkness. It gives us the visualization that, that we were nothing. There was nothing good in us. Nothing productive. Nothing of value. You and I were darkness. But Paul goes on. Now we are, what are we? We're light in Jesus. And if you are light, then stop doing things that belong to the darkness. You were darkness. That's not who you are anymore. So instead, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Does that make sense? You've heard me say this before. I'll probably never stop saying it. I say this life is hard and then it gets harder. And that's true whether you're a Christian or not. We live in a fallen world full of sin and we have a very real enemy, the devil. First Peter 5, 8, it tells us be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we're up against it. We're tempted on a daily basis to succumb to the trappings of sin. But I've discovered that you and I, we often, we take the wrong approach to successfully walking through this life. This is our attempt at living for Jesus. We look at the list on the card and we say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. Definitely, you know, ever, ever going to do whatever it might be. And then we just kind of sit at our home. We lock the door and we hide from the world. And we're not doing anything bad. And we're not doing anything bad. And we're not doing anything bad. We're not doing anything good either. We're not doing anything at all. Man, I knew some families like this growing up in church. Have you ever hung out with some of those really legalistic Christians? They're just killjoys. They can't watch TV. They can't watch movies. They can't listen to music. They can't dance. I love to dance. They can't socialize with non-believers. They can't, 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 can't. Certain sects of Christianity, they just operate this way. They have the appearance of looking so godly. But I'm here to tell you they flat out miss the mark. Yes, you were darkness, and yes, you don't want to live and walk in the darkness any longer. Absolutely. But if we're no longer darkness, then what are we now? We're light. And is our light meant to be hidden? No. Jesus declares on the Sermon of the Mount, follow with me. He says, you are the, say it with me, light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let's say it together. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You were darkness. Now you're light. And live as children of the light. Figure it out. Find out what pleases the Lord. Do it. Shine your light. So here's one for you. Don't just sit in your room and say, I'm not going to look at porn. 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 That will never work. You've tried it and it doesn't work. Eventually, in a moment of weakness or boredom, anger, depression, stress, whatever it is, you're going to look at porn because you've been spending all your effort and energy to stay out of the darkness. Where instead you should be spending all of your effort and your energy, living the abundant life that you know you've been called to live as a child of light. 
Instead of spending all of our resources trying to stay away from the darkness, we should be consumed from head to toe by living in the light. Stop living a life full of stress about the darkness. Stop beating yourself up about it as well. Jesus died for your sins. Yes, even your sins. We, we love Jesus forgiving everyone else's sins, but we have a hard time having him forgive our own, don't we? Jesus died for your sins. You're forgiven. He's in love with you. He's well pleased with you. He did not set you free so that you could be miserable and beat yourself up again and again. Your sins, whether you like it or not, are forgiven. So stop paying so much attention to the darkness. Instead, be consumed by living in the light. You once were darkness. You now are light in the Lord. If you're struggling today in, in an area that you know is just contrary to the heart of God, your number one priority, number one priority, it shouldn't be to try to get rid of the darkness. Now, this is where churches, they just screw this up again and again. Churches have become experts at trying to scrub the darkness out of people. We are professionals at pointing out your flaws, your blemishes, and your sin. A church can't scrub away the darkness. There's only one who has the power to do that. John 1, verse 29. Listen to this declaration. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're a Christian this morning, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's how far He has removed our transgressions our sins from us. You, brother and sister, you are light, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross, what he's done in you and for you. Now, if you're not a Christian, here's the honest truth. You are darkness. You are a slave to sin. And you are in desperate need of a Savior. In desperate need of a Lord who can take away your sin. Jesus Christ, he's the only one that can do it. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer in just a little bit for you to begin a new life with Jesus. You need Jesus. For the rest of us, our number one priority when we wake up, it it shouldn't be to try to stay away from the darkness, but instead 100% into the light. Walk in the light. When you get your tired body out of bed, you just start walking in the light. Because when we walk in the light, darkness has to flee. Walk in the light. Surround yourself with God, with worship music, with scriptures, with Christian brothers and sisters. Go to the women's retreat. Go to the men's group. Sign up for a life group. You might be going to church three, four times a week. Good. Don't let anybody ever tell you you're spending too much time at church. That's crazy to me. Three to four times ain't nothing. The world will tell you you're crazy. I'll tell you you're just getting started. Go for it. Seek God. Fill yourself with light. First John 1 5, it tells us, This is a great verse. It says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So you find God, and you will find light. I love how simple that is. He's light, in him is no darkness. You find God, you got light. Passionately pursue God. Walk in the light of Christ. Walk in the light as he is in the light. I promise you, the darkness will have to flee. There will be no room for the darkness. Darkness and light, they do not exist in the same place. Amen? Amen. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Everything that's illuminated becomes a light. 
The light of Christ, did you notice, it takes care of everything. You don't have to try and remove the darkness. You just walk in the light of Christ, and that verse says the darkness will be exposed. It will be exposed. And when the darkness is exposed, I want you to, I want you to hear this. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's not exposed so that you can be condemned and judged and punished. There's a fear within so many of us as Christians that of this darkness being exposed, that it will only lead to us being laughed at or made fun of, ridiculed, cast out, whatever it might be. The darkness isn't exposed so that you can be ridiculed and mocked. No, the darkness is exposed to bring you freedom. Freedom. It's exposed so that Satan, the devil, loses his power over you. He loses his grip over you. I really want you to get this. Some of you are so afraid to tell anyone about your struggles in your life. I mean, you couldn't imagine sharing some of the areas where you're struggling. But have you any idea of what I do when people come to me and honestly share areas where they are struggling? I come alongside them. I pray for them. I encourage them. There are people all over this body that would do the exact same thing. We become your biggest fan. We cheer you on. We're rooting for you. We pray for you that you will experience victory in Christ. But with that being said, I also get it. There are some of you who have some pretty darn serious sins that you're struggling with. And you know that there might be some real honest consequences for you bringing these sins into the light. This is getting good now. See, I mean, let, let's say you're a leader in this church. And, and you share with me a secret sin that you've been really struggling with. Maybe for years. And when we look at the situation, I ask you to step down from leadership. I say, you know, I need you to take a break. I need you to step down. Do I do that to punish you? Make you pay the price for your inappropriate behavior? No. I do it because I love you. Because you've been living a secret life, a disobedient life. You haven't been living in the light. You've allowed the darkness to have its way. I'd remove you from leadership simply to give you the opportunity and the time to learn how to live this life without any secrets. I want freedom for you. I want you to be able to live in freedom instead of being one way with one crowd, getting drunk, having sex, whatever it might be, and then being another way with the church crowd. That's not the way and the life that God has called you to. You don't want to be a fake in the body of Christ. How good does that feel? No, you want to live in freedom. The freedom of being a new creation, walking in the light of Christ, without secrets, without hiding in the shadows, without living in the darkness. But we'd be doing the church a disservice. I'd be doing you a disservice if I just allowed you to continue to live a double life. But some of you, you are so afraid to ever even get to that place of honesty. And so you remain silent. You stay in your position of influence. And you live a lie. That breaks my heart. Breaks my heart because if you were just honest, we would love you. We would walk with you. So that you could be restored. So you could be effective in leadership for the rest of your life. That you would be set up for success as a healthy and spiritually mature believer. Who now would have power and authority behind your words and your actions. Because your words and your actions would come from someone who is walking in the light instead of the darkness. It's a beautiful picture to me. But yet you remain silent. And you know what the saddest part of my job is? It's when I find out that someone's been struggling with a sin, but they've been trying to hide it. They've been trying to keep it secret, and now they've been found out. I hate that. 
And it happens a lot. I don't want to find out nobody. I take no pleasure, no joy in that. My heart is that we would live in an authentic and transparent community where we are honest with one another, letting the light shine in the darkness so that we can be free. I believe that's the heart of God as well. I hope I modeled that in my own life. In fact, I make some of you so uncomfortable with how transparent I am. In fact, I just make things awkward. Let's be honest. Uh, But I found a freedom in living that way. No more secrets. Having secrets, it's a substandard way to live. So to combat that, I'm pretty honest. In fact, early in my marriage with my beautiful wife, I made a decision. I was going to be completely honest with my wife about everything. Because, you know, guess what? I'm tempted just like you are. I am. And I didn't want to live with any secrets in front of my wife. So about six years ago, Mary and I were in Spokane. We're sitting on the couch and we're watching the Dallas cheerleaders making the squad. Some of you know what I'm talking about. CNT, country music television. And I just got to be honest. It was on TV and my eyes just went, woo! Because these ladies were beautiful. They were. They were beautiful. They were wearing nothing. And I had lustful thoughts. Don't you think you're above temptation? Come on now. You know you, you've been there. But you know, instead of me, this is beautiful. Instead of me going into a fantasy world with those thoughts, going into a secret world that nobody else knew about, including my wife, I made a bold decision because I wanted to be free. I stood upon the promise. I love the scripture. I stood upon the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, listen to this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God, he is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. So I stood up and I said, Mary, I can't have you watch that show. It's too much of a temptation for me. That's what I said. And instead of her yelling at me and telling me what a bad husband I was, she thanked me for being honest with her. And so she stopped watching it. At the same time, there were some pretty inappropriate shows on the E! Channel and on MTV. And I asked her, Mary, would you be willing to block out those channels? And she did. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. The light of Christ that shined into the darkness. The light of Christ shined into our living room. Some of you need the light of Christ to shine into your bedroom or your office. And by the way, if your spouse shares with you an area of weakness in an attempt to break free from it, don't unload on them. Don't go berserk on them. I'm not saying it, 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 it probably is hurtful. It probably is painful. But I encourage you to walk it through with them. If you unload on them, if you give them the right act, I promise you, I promise you, this will be the last time your spouse will ever be honest with you. I promise. And for the rest of your days together with your spouse, your spouse, you'll be living a double life full of a fantasy world that you know nothing about, or they'll be living in a fantasy world that you know nothing about because they don't think that they could ever come to you with their secrets. We need to get off our high horse. We need to encourage our loved ones when they open up to us with their struggles. Now more than ever, especially with the internet and iPhones and iPods and everything. By the way, with the iOS 7 update, you can now, um, you can now get a, a filter for internet. And it comes with a passcode. So this is what I would recommend you is if you're a guy and you struggle with like iPad or iPhone kind of stuff, you, you give it to another buddy of yours and you tell them to set the passcode. Because if we set the passcode, that's stupid. Then, oh, I know. 
So do that. iOS 7. If you want me to set the passcode for you, I'll, I'll know 30 passcodes if I need to. I want freedom for you. Verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ, he will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days they are evil. So again, don't just sit in your house trying not to do something bad. No. Read it. Make the most of every opportunity. Live out loud. Be bold. No more secrets. Stop hiding. Stop flipping through the channels. Make the most of every opportunity. In fact, I would say do something good. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul, he's helping us out here. He says, don't be a fool. Don't partake in any and every sin that comes your way that you're tempted by. No, that is a road that only fools travel on. Instead, understand what the Lord's will is. He said this before, hasn't he? Romans, uh, Romans 12, 2, right? He says, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't be foolish. Don't do the stupid things of this world, the things that Facebook and Twitter and TV tell you're okay to do. No. Instead, what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll be able to understand His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then he goes on. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk. It's pretty simple. Don't get drunk. Don't do it. It leads to a mess. Anyone who has ever played around with alcohol knows that it leads you down a path of destruction. I'm not saying you can't drink. Don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You probably got to be filled with something, right? So we might as well be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the key to everything. I mean everything. Listen up. The key to living your best life, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit, life is going to be almost impossible. Because life is hard and then it gets harder. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. A- after Pentecost, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, it became available to everyone who accepted Christ. Now, this was a new thing. The Holy Spirit, He had come up upon people before in the Old Testament at certain times, but never before was it available to everyone. This meant... Us, as followers of Jesus, we now had the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We had that same power within us. Now, when we're saved, God's Spirit, it takes residence in us. So all believers, we have the Spirit of God in them. I believe that. But not everybody who calls them a Christian lives the Spirit-filled life. Have you noticed that? You bet. I have again and again. So again, when you accept the work of Jesus on the cross, you're given the Holy Spirit. You receive, like Ephesians talks about, an an eternal inheritance from God. But you and I, we now have this choice whether or not to allow God's Spirit to work in us and through us. And so many believers, they, they never allow the move of the Spirit in their lives. And they're missing out. Oh, the amazing things that happen when we yield ourselves to the control of the Spirit. When we invite him to have his way in us, I, I just got to be honest, in my own life, life becomes worth living. 
And this is the other thing. When, when we allow the Holy Spirit to have His way in our lives, people begin to take notice. Being filled with the Spirit is noticeable to those around us. Listen again to Ephesians 5.18, if you could put that up on the screen. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, when you're filled with alcohol, when it's flowing, when you have liquid courage, it is evident to everyone around you, isn't it? It's noticeable. Paul is using this imagery on purpose. This is not a mistake. He says, just as the results of alcohol are visible, in the same way the results of the Holy Spirit, they need to be visible in the world as well. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's an internal thing, right? It's, it's between the Holy Spirit and me. But from this thing that's going on inside of me, there flows this external evidence. People will take notice. I, I know this because so many of you in this room, you live according to the Spirit. You are daily filled with the Spirit. And I love it. You've caught my attention. Did you know that? I love being in community with you. You are a difference maker in Christ because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is influencing everyone around you. Now, if you're sitting out here this morning and you're listening to me talk and no one's ever talked about being filled with the Spirit, you're probably thinking one of two things. Number one, what in the heavens are you talking about? (laughs) Or number two, hey, I want to live a Spirit-filled life. I believe that. I believe in our generation that there is a hunger for the Holy Spirit like never before. I truly believe that. More than ever before. You're not afraid of it. You're not embarrassed by it. You're hungry for it. And a great way to know if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're still confused, just ask this question. Is, is God's Spirit in control of my life? It's a simple question. When I look at my life, from the moment I wake up until I put my head down to go to sleep, is God's Spirit in control of my life? Yes or no? And God's Spirit, by the way, can only be in control if we yield to the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force us. We, we all have the choice whether to yield or not to yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. We have that choice. Lately, I've been talking, again, about the old self and the new self. The old man versus the born again creation. This is important to understand. Listen up. The conduct of your old self is contrary to the Spirit. The conduct of your old self is contrary to the Spirit. When you are satisfying the cravings of your flesh, when you're feeding that old nature, that old man, you are preventing yourself from being filled. You are living an unyielded life. It's harsh, but it's true. Paul, he is trying to break through that. He's trying to encourage us. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to fill you up. And by the way, a beautiful thing happens when you're filled up by the Holy Spirit. You begin to produce fruit. When you're living by the Spirit, you are living a life producing fruit. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Dan? What is this fruit you're talking about? Galatians 5.22, if you want to go ahead and put it up on the screen, let's say it together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to know if you're yielded to the Spirit? Here's a dangerous thing. Ask somebody close to you if they see this kind of fruit being produced in your life. Maybe buy them some roses before you ask the question. Right? Do, do you see these things evidenced in my life? Paul adds to this list in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. He tells us that this spirit-filled person 
produces fruit, but they also speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says that a spirit-filled person sings and makes music from their heart to the Lord. A spirit-filled person always gives thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these three verses, you keep them up on the screen. They've really been picked apart by Bible scholars. I've read studies about how psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, they're three unique things. And I've heard how we need to make sure that we have all three things, so psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit in our meeting times. And maybe that's true. But when I read this, and, when, and I've read it again and again and again, and when I read it in the context of this chapter and the context of this letter, I, I just see this scripture as the praise of a person who is no longer darkness, but is a child of light. It is the praise of someone who is completely consumed by the things of God and is filled with the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled person's life is praise to God. Everything you say and everything you do, it brings glory to God. Your life is a life song sung only to God. When we are filled with the Spirit, we speak to one another with praise on our lips, right? Have you ever hung out with someone filled with the Spirit and as they're talking to you, it's just it's the vocabulary is praise. You have fruit dripping off of your arms. You have fruit dripping off of your legs. As we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we support and we defend one another. A spirit-filled person has this song in their heart, right? It might not make the top ten of the billboard charts, but there's this song in our hearts. And it's a song for the Lord, and it continually plays on a never-ending iPod. Everywhere we go, it flows from our heart to the heart of God. Now, now we choose, and when we choose to go back to darkness, the song is still playing, by the way. But it seems like it's a little distorted, isn't it? Right? For some of us who are still living according to the old man instead of the new, the music is just not quite as loud as it could be. It's hard to decipher the melody, right? It's hard to pick out the individual note. But today, today is a good day. For as long as today is today, I mean, today is a good day because today you can choose to crank up the volume on your song to the Lord. See, you no longer have to live in the shadows. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can shine the light of Christ. And as you do, this is what will happen. This is a guarantee. A beautiful symphony will begin to rise up within you. I love it. The sweet aroma, this melody will begin to rise up within you as you're yielded to the Spirit, as you're filled with the Spirit. This song, this life song will begin to rise up. In verse 20, you will give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the song in our heart, we're going to give thanks to God. That's worship. And give thanks to God for the universe. Hallelujah. And I want to close with this. Worship team, come on up. This is how you know if you're really living the Spirit-filled life or not. Right here, verse 20. A Spirit-filled person is someone who is always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit, you are living a life song that's full of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for everything in the name of Jesus. And that's how I want to close today. We have some time in the midst of all of our pain. Some of you are going through some pretty serious things these days. In in the midst of all of our heartache, the obstacles and challenges of life, the Apostle Paul is telling us today that there should always be a spirit of thanksgiving in God's people, where we are thankful for what he has done and what he's doing in our lives. Thankfulness, it's sometimes just kind of absent in our communities. Right? 
I mean, it just seems like sometimes we're much better at complaining. We have the gift of complaint. But life spring, that's not going to be us. not us. It's just not. We will be a thankful and a grateful body of Christ. Our song will be loud and clear. It is the song of the redeemed who have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, I think about even just this last year, how many of us were in the hospital our, our spouse left us. Some of us, we lost loved ones. Life is hard. And it seems pretty tragic to me, God. I was thinking about yesterday hanging out with a nine-year-old and a 15-year-old who just lost their mom to cancer last week. And a little beautiful nine-year-old girl hanging out with my 10-month-old. hard sometimes but there's promises that we stand on there's promises from your word as was already said today Lord even when sometimes we're faithless you are faithful because that's just who you are (laughs) our God is faithful you can't not be faithful that's just who you are and I love that about you and that you are loving that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. I thank you for that, God. Because there's a lot of things in this life that just are unlovely. But yet you are beautiful. And you are loving. I thank you for the privilege of being here today. To be alive. To have the opportunity to spread the name of Jesus into our communities, into our workplace, into our families. It's awesome, God. The reality is this place is not our home. We're we're temporary residents, we're aliens, strangers here. That there is an eternal inheritance, a deposit of the Holy Spirit on us, letting us know that there is a place where your spirit will be. It's going to be awesome. I was just reading Revelation this week, and I was going to fire it up. <laughs> because it's going to be awesome. Because you are awesome. And you've prepared a place for each one of us. And I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of our tears, we can stand up and say we're thankful. I thank you for the honesty that's in this room. I thank you that we're not trying to fake it and just play the game. We don't want to be cultural Christians. We don't want to just look the part. We want to be in desperate need for a Savior. We want to be humbled by your grace, overwhelmed by your mercy. And just great humble adoration for all that you are. Let our life be worshipped to you. Let the life song rise up within us. And if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, just raise your hand, let me know. I'd love to pray for you. It's a pretty awesome deal. You know, I said you were darkness without Jesus, and it's the truth. Sin is sin. Nothing can remove your sin except for Jesus.
give you all the praise and the glory. Of the Lord.